She's Rachel Casey. She's Maddie Weiner. And we're the smartest smartest people in the room. We have a lot of opinions on film. And we just can't shut up about it. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) (laughs) This is a podcast where we shoot the shit. Just like Paul Thomas Anderson collaborator Robert Ellswit shot the 2003 masterpiece, Julie. This week we're discussing... The Beatles thing. Spencer. Art is a lie that tells the truth. The power of the dog. Autor theory. So stay tuned. I don't know how to start it ever. I don't either. Um, It's been a long time since we recorded. Welcome. Welcome back. So you'd think we would have seen more movies since then, but I've, alas, yeah, true. We've seen stuff, and we will be talking about it. I also, you know, watch a lot of television. So yes, um, have you been watching the Beatles thing? I have not been watching. I have not watched the Beatles thing. It's I guess technically a film, right? I don't even I think know so. It counts as an anthology. Yeah. If the Last Dance, or no, was that it? No, no, not the Last Dance. The the uh, the 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 thirty the ESPN thirty for thirty OJ. Well, that now, one. I know, but that's what I'm saying, yeah. right? If it was, yeah. if it was considered, and it's a, not as long as that. Yeah, <laughs> it's only six hours. If that was at, at that point in time considered a film mm-hmm. when it won an Oscar, then yeah, that's true. But um, we don't have to talk too much about it because you haven't seen it. But did you see? Did you? They shall not grow old. Did we see that together? I don't think so. This this my big problem with the Beatles thing. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's really interesting. But he's using the same film restoration techniques that he used for They Shall Not Grow Old. And I'm like, to what end, Peter? For They Shall Not Grow Old, the point was to make World War One seem like it was filmed today. Yeah. And make it more real for the viewer, which it's like an interesting experiment. It was cool. They added voices and sound effects to make it really seem like it was shot today. Like, it was really cool. Why do that to this, though? I don't know. I liked They Shall Not Grow Old. I saw it with my dad. Um... And the only thing about it is, like, yeah, it's more like, you know, we were having the conversation before about museums versus Mm -hmm. what belongs in a museum versus what belongs in a theater. That belongs in a museum. And I think They Shall Not Grow belongs in a museum. Yeah. Like, it's it's interesting to watch, but it doesn't tell you anything new that you didn't already know about World War I. It's just like, wow, look at this. It's a a new, like, way to experience the things that we already know. Wow. Like, I I never... Because it's it's easy to, to... Or it's hard to relate sometimes to those images that are black and white. Right. Or sepia tone and, like, fuzzy and grainy. But with the Beatles, it's the Beatles. You don't need that. Why, don't, why not just leave leave it grainy? You don't like, need it. It doesn't need to be smooth Beatles. Like, yeah. And he and he 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 took footage from so like if they were having like a four way conversation while it was being filmed, it seems to me the camera didn't really move and it was on one person, even though it was recording all of their voices. So he took shots from other moments of the other Beatles and inner put them in there. So he would be able to cut to their faces and the words don't match the lips because of that. And a lot of the time it's really weird and smooth because he zoomed in and cropped mm. and it just is so weird. I'm like, why couldn't you just leave it on the one talking? Do you think that we can't be entertained enough by just Paul talking? And then it's not like you can't see the other Beatles. They're just not facing the camera. Like they're in profile or one of them's cause they're in a little circle or whatever. I don't know. It just really bothered me and I'm still going to keep watching it. 
Yeah, that's interesting that, yeah, I don't know why. I also just don't know why you would go to so much effort Some of the cutting to do is that. also really bad. Some of the editing, is there's too much. Like, there's too many cuts. It's like Bohemian Rhapsody all over again. Well, surely some of it is on 35. It's all on on film. Yeah, and so then, you know, it's then it gets even more complicated when you shift the the film to digital and then you start cutting the digital it's a mess it can be a mess a little bit of a mess but it is interesting i do think it's cool to see them just being just guys being dudes guys being dudes (laughs) yeah it is interesting i i I probably should watch it because i i'm probably i'm sure i have some mis pre misconceived notions about Mm -hmm. some of the beatles like john is not my favorite um see john's not my favorite (laughs) but maybe i should i watch to find out no, George is my favorite. Oh, you and Irene both. I know. Mm-hmm. I love George. Paul really is a, the dominating guy in it. I'll tell you that. The other three are like, mm. and Paul's like, guys, let's get it. Let's get this right. We got to do this. Well, I mean, then it, you know, it's not surprising that he was the one with the most. I mean, the other two died, so mm-hmm. you know, we'll it's never know. Say, yeah. But like, mm-hmm. but I do like that they swear in it, and and Peter Jackson was like, Disney wanted Paul, Peter Jackson to take out the swearing, and he was like, no. So they were like. Okay. <laughs> Disney's on. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we both uh, saw Spencer not together. Um, I saw it on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> I saw myself. it on a night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what kind of night. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember either, but it was great. I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. I also really liked it, and I loved Jackie. Um, Me too. And I... Mm-hmm. Was not able to see Pablo Lorraine's interstitial film, but interstitial? no, like that was the one that he did between Jackie and and uh, Spencer. What was it? It I, it's I can't I can never remember because there were there were two that came out a lot like relatively at the same time, and they both had the same name, and I cannot uh, Emma. Oh right, Emma. But not I, I not E M M A. Right there was a, there was an E M M A Emma. I that was good. And then there was an E M A Emma. I want to see that still. But Emma E M A Pablo Lorraine, I, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, was never released it, here. It is, it is on streaming. Now. It's I'm sure yeah I'm sure it's now. likely on streaming now. But it had a very small, very 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 small uh, awards qualifying theatrical run, and that was it. I think. Yeah. Because I know David Ehrlich saw it because it was on his list for that year. But. It's got Gail Garcia Bernal in it, who we all know I love. (laughs) Um, But no, Spencer, I really liked it a lot. Um, And it made me realize why I I generally like movies about the extremely wealthy. And I've always wondered why. Because I don't want to be extremely wealthy. I don't, like... I'm just like, what is it about this that's so interesting to me and appealing to me? I do like luxury and, and, and opulence visually, um, just, it just is interesting to me, but I realized that what I actually like is cults and the ultra wealthy are, is a cult, you know, cause there's like, there's like 10 people who were ultra wealthy, not really this more than that, but there's really like a thousand. That's a cult. If that, yeah. yeah. And the royal family is absolutely a cult. They're a cult of monarchy. And, you know, she is this girl, princess Diana. She was this young girl who was raised adjacent to this cult, sort of in it, but not with the power. Yeah, I mean, she was in it. She was yeah. she was royal. Yeah. She was raised to believe that it would be great to be the princess, and then she became the princess, and she be, she essentially loses her faith, 
and wants out of the cult. And the rest of them are like, no, 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 you can't leave the cult. Like, and they sew her freaking curtains shut and just like, they won't let her leave. But she's like, you know, I, and, and that made me like, oh, that's why I like it. No, I, 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 yeah, I mean, that makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I love the royal family because they're, it's entertainment, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that is, that is quite literally their sole purpose since, since the, you know. They're like Kardashians. Yeah, I mean, they are. Since, (laughs) since like the, like early to mid 20th century when they no longer had the power of the monarchy Mm -hmm. um, to rule the country, they are are literally just there for our entertainment, Mm -hmm. which, you know. Is, is part of the reason that Diana ended up the way that she did was because that was her purpose, was to and entertain us. They, she, she... It's exploitation. Was she was exploited to death. It's exploitation. Yeah, yeah she was exploited to death. They're like... I, I listened to... Um, shout out to another great podcast um, that has ended its run, but um, I listened to uh, five or six... I believe it was six-part podcast series on Diana's because I, you know, knew bits and pieces, but I didn't know everything about her. And I listened to it a couple months ago. Um, sorry, the podcast is, uh, you're wrong about. Oh yeah. Yes. My coworker just recommended that to me and I listened to the one about Ed and Lorraine Warren. What yeah. a wild ride. What a wild ride. <laughs> but okay. But yes, they did a six part where, um, one of the, the hosts read like the two definitive books on Diana. Um, and sort of repeated the information. But anyways, it was very interesting because he said uh, he had worked in human rights, the the world of human rights, specifically human rights nonprofits before. And he said that he thinks that the royal family is a human rights violation. That That they, you know, obviously it's not. I mean, they're ultra wealthy. They want for nothing. Like, mm-hmm. it is not the worst human rights crisis right. in of the course. world. Yeah. But that they are born into it and they are forced to live in it and they do not have a choice of whether they want to be in it or not. Now, some of them do, like Harry now, has the choice to not be in it. Mm -hmm. But the ones who are in the direct line of the throne, they don't have a choice. But Harry only even really has a choice, I would argue, because of Diana. That was, you know, they know what, they know the consequences of, of being too controlling now. Yeah. People die and they look like the villains that they are. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, if you really think about, you know, the queen it was has has been so obsessed for so long with, you know, she she became queen when she was so young, so young. and so she was obsessed with being a good queen, right, and not seeming young, and so she's always been very controlling because she wants to. She has always wanted to show that she had control right. of the the royal family because mm-hmm. she was twenty something mm-hmm. when she became queen. Mm-hmm. And so that's what caused... It's just funny, though, because if you look at her legacy now, it's like, Elizabeth, girl, you did not have control. No. You should have just let Charles marry Camilla in the first place, and none of this would have ever happened. But instead... Really? Was that... I didn't realize that was... Charles was always in love with Camilla. Why couldn't he marry her? He was, she was divorced. Um, so they wouldn't let her marry the divorces him. stuff. It's just like, guys, come on. Because, you know, in the Anglican church, they couldn't get married. I mean, that, yeah, the one guy, the one king had to abdicate because he wanted to marry Wallace Stevens, yeah. whatever her name is, which is just like, I remember watching the King's speech and being like, damn, just because she's divorced? Yeah, I yeah, mean. She was a Nazi too, but they didn't care about that. They, they didn't care. They cool with that. <laughs> no, like, Camilla, Camilla had been divorced and Charles was always in love with Camilla. Um, oh, the other thing was that Camilla was old 
and they didn't mm. like older. He she was the same age as Charles, but by the time Charles was marrying Diana, he was like thirty. Yeah. So you know she had already been had already been married and divorced, so yeah. they weren't allowed to get married. So then we had to go through all this rigmarole, and someone died, someone died and then Charles ended up marrying Camilla anyways. Like poor Diana, it really is. And maybe part of the reason that I've always been sympathetic to Diana, even when I didn't know that much about her, is because Amelie is so formative for me. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's, that is ultimately, to bring it back to Spencer, is what I really enjoyed about it. And I understand how the, how the average viewer or even uh, someone who just isn't expecting it wouldn't, wouldn't like it. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed it because I feel like I know all of the, like, basic facts about her, but it was really interesting to watch something that felt like an exploration of what it must have felt like to to be Diana. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know about the eating disorder stuff. Um, I definitely knew about that. And it was interesting. A lot of the things in Spencer were, like, it was very interesting if you know, if you know a lot about Princess Diana to see how Pablo Lorraine played with a lot of the different things, like in the scene where she, it appears that she's contemplating throwing herself down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like one of the most hotly contested things that ever happened to Diana was that when she was pregnant with William, she did fall down the stairs. But the question is, is did she throw herself down the stairs? Oh, okay. Like, and a lot of people say, no, she would never have done that because the only thing she ever cared about were her children. And so since she was pregnant, she would never have willingly thrown herself down the stairs Mm -hmm. while pregnant with William. But it's still like one of the... I don't know, though. If if she was pregnant with her first child, the child wasn't born yet. How do we know that she cared about him before he was born? A lot of people don't. So, yeah, it's, it's a, that's one of the biggest questions of all is, like, did she did she or did she not throw herself down the stairs that time? Another thing is when, when Charles um, says to her when they're eating, you know, basically the thing of don't... Don't throw up. Basically, yeah. don't eat this if you're just going to throw it back up. Mm-hmm. He did say something along those lines to her, which was, like, one of the cruelest things he ever said to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, and all of this is just hearsay and from what Diana told people mm-hmm. um, in interviews, but... For the most part, Charles was actually not mean to he her. He didn't seem... It just seemed like he was like, Diana... Like, he... It seemed like he was like, we're in this cult, and this is what we believe, and I don't understand why you can't just get behind it. And yeah. she was like, because I can't anymore. Because he just bought into all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's It was... When they kept talking about the kids being cold, mm-hmm. that's real. Mm-hmm. In the... In, like, the royal family, they don't turn on the heat. In those mansions, That's they so re- they they're so cheap. They yeah. refuse to turn on the heat. Rich so Charles, like you know, froze to death as a child, and so he just assumed that his children should also freeze to death. Mm-hmm. And, as, the, and the shooting of the of the pheasant. Yeah, she's like, he's William doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to kill the birds. And Charles is like, well, it's a family tradition, and I don't know what you expect me to do about this. Yeah, he's coming with me to kill the birds. You know, it's it's not that Charles was ever mean to her that he just didn't understand why she couldn't understand. And so then he always just floated back to Camilla, Mm -hmm. um, who did understand and wanted to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was, I, I thought it was really, really interesting. I loved, um, the, you know, the scene where she's walking down the hallway. It was just phenomenal. Oh my God. Yeah. Other than the ending where I had to, where I had to cover my eye or I had to cover my ears and close my eyes. So I didn't see her vomiting. But (laughs) I I was like, I, I, well, as I was watching the theater, I was like, Oh, Rachel probably did not like this part. The first time she vomited. Okay. Cause I didn't have to see the vomit. The second time I like knew it was coming. I was like, no, (laughs) no, no. Um, no, I loved all the Anne Boleyn stuff, all of the like dream sequence stuff, like internal 
you know, remembrances. I loved all that. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And I loved how she actually, I loved how it, it showed her interactions with, um, the staff Mm -hmm. because the staff had such an effect on Diana's life. Um, it was true that she would talk to the staff and, you know, be friendlier with him than the rest of the royal family, but it, it was, it really did a good job of showing the precarious nature of those relationships for her because, Yes, she felt like those were the only people that she could connect with, but those were also the people who leaked stories about her to the press and made money off of her. And so, you know, what do you do when you can't, you can't, you know, express your emotions to your quote unquote family and then the people that you try to express your emotions to are just going to use that for money. And so it was very interesting. I thought that the movie showed more interactions with her and the staff than it did with her and the actual Mm -hmm. family. Yeah, I thought that the way that they conveyed... I mean, they did such a good job of making it... You really felt suffocated. Yeah. I I mean, there were parts where I was like... I had, like, my hand on my chest, and I was like... Like, so, like, my heart was racing. Because her heart, you know, hers was. And she was so anxious all the time. And you could just... She did a great job acting, Kristen. Yeah, I mean, Kristen, my girl. really, really incredible. I mean, you when she you can first... you can talk about whether it's a good merit or not, and and I I think it personally depends on the film of whether a person disappears into it or not. Mm-hmm. But I thought she disappeared into it. I yeah, wasn't. I think it depends on the film too, but I think that here it was. I wasn't always that. like by the middle of the movie. I wasn't like, wow, there's Kristen Stewart. Yeah, when she <laughs> like, first appeared, I was like. Whoa, she looks blonde and yeah, like it's Chris. It's Kristen Stewart, and then I forgot. And then you, and then I forgot. I want to forget. In that, in that situation, in that situation where yeah, you want to forget. Mm -hmm. I want to be immersed in a movie most of the time. Yeah, I mean, it just depends, right? Like we can talk about how, like in Promising Young Woman, how the casting there was actually meant to sure be. it, It was meant for us to realize. There's a there's like a funny guy I like. Oh mm-hmm. no. Oh no. Yeah, there, there's there's movies where you are supposed to be aware of the fact that you're watching a movie a whole time and there's movies that you're supposed to be immersed. Yeah. Both are both have their place and both are good. But I think generally when I watch movies where you're supposed to be aware that you're watching a movie, it's more of like an intellectual exercise for me and with immersive movies it's more of an emotional experience. Yeah. And that's what I got out of it. I agree with that. I think like when it's Another another good one that I rewatched recently was I was rewatching Barb and Star while I was doing something and mm-hmm. Jamie Dornan and Barb and Star you're like that is Jamie Dornan yep. yeah. <laughs> the whole yeah. time you're yes. like that's so that is Jamie Dornan but in this case it's a comedy so it's you know mm-hmm. it's not meant to be like an emotional journey it's meant right. to be like haha look Jamie Dornan singing right right yeah. <laughs> and what a great job he does right. yes he does a great job he's so good in that movie. Um, but yes, no, I, yeah, I thought, I thought she was just, yeah, phenomenal. I mean, really. I thought the boys were really good too. They were, yeah. They were were well cast. And again, it showed that I thought they did a really good job. Like, this is the thing is, you know, people were, so many people were like, oh, it's not, you know, it's, it's not real. It's like just made up or whatever. But I think it did such a good job of showing, like, like I said, the things about her that were true, Mm -hmm. like about interacting with the staff and then that she loved her children. Mm-hmm. She like that's the only thing she really did love well, was her children. Yeah, and that like makes me think of, I feel like there've been conversations happening online lately about how realism has come to dominate 
a lot of discussion of movies. Well, you saw Ridley Scott. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, Ridley, Ridley, Ridley. Oh, love Ridley. So much. I love Ridley. I, at this point, I'm j- disappointed that my dad didn't name mm-hmm. me Ridley. I'm like, Dad, it's a girl's wish, name, too. You love Alien. Yes. Like, <laughs> But um, if, for those who don't know, there was an interviewer who made the comment to Ridley Scott that Last Duel seemed more realistic than some of his previous historical fiction movies, and he was just like, fuck off. Get the fuck out of here. And he was really angry, because who cares? Like, that's not the point for him, you know? Like, why even bring that up? Like, this this idea that the more realistic it is, the better, which is not always true. Yeah. In fact, it's not true most of the time. Not true most of the time. What? Hey. Jean Cocteau. Art is a lie that tells the truth. You know what I mean? What is the point of telling some, like... Unless it's a documentary. Yeah, exactly. And even then, sometimes you want it to be self-aware, at least. Well, and then we can, you know, talk about the movie that we both really liked, um, you know, uh, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, which literally asked that question yeah. of, does it matter? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> does I, it matter if it's real or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the answer is no, no it doesn't. It doesn't. doesn't matter if it's real or not. No. Because as long as you... It's not the news, guys. Yeah, it's like... It's a movie. <laughs> like... As long as you find a way to connect with the characters and connect with the things that are happening on the mm-hmm. screen, does it matter if it's real? And for me, for Bloody Nose Empty Pockets, the answer was no. I was no. like, yeah, these are all actors pretending to be in a documentary. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I love these fucking guys. Yeah. These fucking guys right that here. <laughs> love them. During the pandemic when we couldn't go to bars. It was so it great. Was so good. But yeah, like, and with Spencer, did that really happen? Did she really have those conversations that Christmas? Did she really hallucinate Anne Boleyn throughout the halls? Probably not. Probably not. But, but we know that we know that that was the point in time. The emotional truth. We know that that was the point in time that she was the most paranoid. Mm-hmm. That it even mentions it because Charles at one point Diana thought that Charles was having an affair with her children's nanny, mm-hmm. um, which is not true. I mean, the mm-hmm. only person he really ever had an affair with was Camilla. But mm-hmm. at this point, Diana was so paranoid, and she even mentions it briefly. Like this is another thing. Like if you know about Diana, it was like a good little easter egg as she mentions it to um william she said when they go to church she says did you see her Mm -hmm. oh i think her name was jane and and william was like who yeah and 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 diana was like you know jane or whoever she was at the church Mm -hmm. and like that was diana being paranoid that uh, she she like Diana was was extremely extremely paranoid, as particularly at this point in her life, right before they were about to get officially divorced. Right. And so, well, she was like, "Do you think you know the, the the line from the trailer that was like, do you think they'll kill me or or will they kill me? Do you think?" And it's like, that's a genuine. It probably crossed her mind. It, no, I'm sure it did. She she thought that they would try to kill her because this was one of the reasons, which is not true. But she had been, she had had an affair with a security person, one of her security people, mm-hmm. and um, that he had been removed once they figured it out, and then he, he died, like, a year later oh. in a car crash um, or a motorcycle accident or something, something relating mm-hmm. to cars. And so she thought that they killed him, mm-hmm. and so she genuinely thought that they could kill her, too. Yeah. And, that's, and that is what she eventually said to her, the guy that she died yeah. with, her boyfriend, and that's why um, his father, you know, kept up the lawsuits for years, mm-hmm. because he genuinely believed it. While I don't necessarily think it's true, yeah. I don't I don't think the royal family tried to kill her mm-hmm. <laughs> or him. Has the royal family killed other people? 
Absolutely. Yes. They have. Do I think that they definitely used people and then dumped them into whatever circumstances they might have found themselves in? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you know, it makes me think of the one of the greatest graphic novels of all time, From Hell, Alan Moore, which is puts forth the theory that um, Jack the Ripper was basically. There's this idea which I think has been disproven since this since. From Hell came out, and From Hell was ba- From Hell was Alan Moore does his research. He loves research, just like me. But um, he based the story on this one, mainly this one book that said that the Prince Prince Edward, I think, is who it was. Um, he secretly married and had a child with a commoner for a lark, basically, and then the. Queen found out and um, had the woman, like, lobotomized, essentially, or, like, something done to her to render her basically, like, unable to tell anyone. Mm -hmm. But the woman was friends with uh, a a prostitute, a sex worker at the time, who told a couple other women, and they tried to blackmail the crown... And so the queen essentially got her royal doctor to kill them and make it look like, you know, the first serial killer, basically. But because they talk about how Jack the Ripper's method was so, like, technically skilled of slitting their throats and stuff and the way he would dismember them and stuff, it seemed like a doctor was doing. And there's, like, all this evidence. It's probably not true, but it's very believable that the queen would just be like, we need to take care of this problem quickly especially back then especially back then you know when yeah yeah and and then she was like edward you shouldn't have done that and then he's you know very feels very guilty but ultimately he just goes and has gay sex (laughs) edward was a very interesting uh king prince person he he was king very briefly he died possible i I don't know enough i don't know that much about the monarchs to be honest i I just really like from hell it was very i know a lot about the modern monarchs i know a lot about the elizabeth the second Mm-hmm. Dynasty, and that's all I know. Like I don't know anything really Highly before that. From hell, but that that always made me think that like I mean, for for so long they were so powerful that family. They were the most powerful family in the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, of course they had people killed. Oh, I mean, back then mm-hmm. when know, there were literally no recently, consequences. Yeah, like the consequences are only very recent because yeah. there were so many ways to keep things secret. You know, eh, who knows though. We'll never know. You never, I mean... The from hell thing's probably not true. Yeah. But, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, the royal family is... Yeah, I can imagine it's suffocating. Okay, we should probably take a break. Let's sure. Take a little break. Here we go. <laughs> the power of the dog. We're back. Speaking, we're going to talk about the power of the dog. Speaking of <laughs> suffocating films... Yes. Jane... My queen, she's done it again. She's Maddie's, Maddie's, that. Maddie's, I'm literally staring at Maddie's Jane Campion Jane shirt, shirt as we speak. I we were talk about this movie. I <laughs> Shout out Girls it. on Tops. Shout out Girls on Tops. <laughs> I did not wear this to the movie because it was dirty. Mm. Uh, regret. Yeah, I saw it at the speed. Um, oh, she's just, 12 years, blink of an eye for her. She's just a genius. She's just a legend. She's the best. She's the best. I mean, this will, like, you know, lead into our, uh, a different discussion later that we don't have to get into. We can talk about the power mm-hmm. of the dog first, but she just makes movies that are, she's, she, she, she's a, she's an auteur. She makes movies. She's an auteur. Like, she's, she's an auteur. She makes movies that are about a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, her things are 
the suffocation and tension of societal expectations on men, women, and relationships. Yes, yes. <laughs> Gender and relationships is so important to her yeah. work. And if you don't get that, you're not going to get it. Sorry, folks. Yeah, so Power of the Dog was phenomenal. Um, I am a little disappointed I didn't see it. We have a really big TV, but, I mean, some of those expansive shots, I was like... They were gorgeous. I was like, hot Sam. I literally leaned over to Zach. I'd like, I mean, like... Maybe two minutes into the movie, there's a pretty incredible long shot of Mm -hmm. the cows walking on the ridge. And I was like, damn, Jane really came out the gate. (laughs) Well, the book opens with the castration scene. Oh, really? And I thought that it was, the movie was going to too, but she saved it for later. So, but yeah, the book, you're like, oh, geez, like that's the first thing in the book. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It prepares you, but. um, True. That, that definitely (laughs) sends the message, (laughs) sends the message early of um, of what's going on here. But yeah, I thought all the performances were just fabulous. I thought that her framing was amazing. I mean, the production design was amazing. Johnny Greenwood killing it. God, that Johnny Greenwood score. Yeah, that shit. (laughs) Those were like, those, you know what those were? Acoustic beat boops. They were acoustic beat boops. (laughs) Because he was like, he was like, boop, 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 Mm boop, boop. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. I'm just so glad it was like, you know, I did, you know, it's been 12 years. I was a little like, Jane. Yeah, yeah. I believe in you, but I, I, you know, I'm, 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 Anxious to see. Yes. I didn't need to be anxious. It was so good. But, but yeah, and I, I was telling Rachel during the break that um, the homoeroticness of it is much more subtextual in the book. I read the book like a month ago, so it's quite fresh. I read it in anticipation of the movie because I just was so excited and I couldn't wait. Um, but yeah, like, like spoilers, obviously, but you guys know there's spoilers in this yeah. damn show. <laughs> um, the, the Bronco Henry handkerchief is an addition. Oh, really? Yes. And Benedict Cumberbatch actually came up with that. I read it in an interview. Interesting. It was his idea. Well, J- Jane was like, we have this, you know, maybe you should keep it under your shirt. He was like, no, I'm going to keep it in my pants. She was like, and this is why you're a great actor, Benedict. <laughs> and, this is why, and this is why I chose you. <laughs> yes, yeah. He was like, I'm, that's, he's like, he would keep it in his pants. So there's that. Um, and then the climactic scene with, with him and Cody Smith McPhee, there is that sort of like, you're, you know, it's very, when he's like, I have let, I have hide and I want you to, to, to have it. And he's like, you want me to have it, Pete? Um, there's that, but the smoking and like, like the sharing the cigarette thing is also an addition and, and the, you know, the, the gazes. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't put that in a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think there might've been other stuff too. That was like, I was like, all right. <laughs> but most of it was very, very true to the book. Very true to the book. That's interesting. Because the book is so good. Like she, she was, I think I read in an interview that she was like pretty happy to be done. Uh, and then she read the book and then she was like, I'm just going to see if the rights are available and the rights were available. She was like, I think I'm going to make another movie. <laughs> like, um, I did. I, I would have to read the book, but I was listening um, to another uh, brief podcast earlier where they were talking about Power of the Dog, um, Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, mm-hmm. shout out NPR. Um, and they were saying that the um, scene uh, early in the movie where Jesse Plummett's character, you know, they're, uh, they get out of the car and they're drinking the, the tea. Yeah, in mm-hmm. the picnic. And he says, you know, I'm just so happy not to be alone. Mm-hmm. They said that he does say that line in the book, but they're not doing that. They're not, like... Well, I think she combined two scenes. Well, I think they, they, they've said maybe that that he says that, and they're but they're just, like, talking when he says that. They're not actually, like, out 
doing that. She's not actually teaching him how to dance. They're just, like, having a conversation. Oh, yeah, teaching him how to dance. It's not. Uh, yeah. yeah, they just, like, have, or they're having a conversation about how he doesn't know how to dance. It's just, like, they're sitting mm-hmm. somewhere and having a conversation. Yeah. And he, and he says that line. But, then they were saying that, oh, what, what a, a masterful adaptation. You know, mm-hmm. what a, that, this is the, like, this is how you adapt something. Yes. yes. To the screen. Yes. Uh, she, you know, she's done quite a few adaptations in her time. And, and sometimes she's really sticks to the text and sometimes she really doesn't. But I just, I, she knows what she wants out of it. Yeah. You know, in the book, in that scene, the, the, the thing that I think, I don't think they dance. I think the thing that is more striking to him is the fact that she would even think to have a picnic. He's like, he's like, who are you eating outside? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> this woman is amazing. Yeah, he's, he's like, so shocked. He's just yeah. like, what? Why are we stopping? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, she's just so, she brings so much to my life. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. So, Jesse. It was very interesting. I love did, did you find it interesting how how little it felt like they liked each other in, like, like, uh, how, like, it, it seemed more that not, not particularly that he liked her or that she liked him, but that truly that they just liked not being alone and they were happy to just not be alone together. Mm -hmm. Like they were just, they were truly just happy to have someone to, to have someone like they were happy to not be like, it didn't feel like they had any like sexual chemistry or anything like that. You know, it was, I thought that was a, I thought that was a very good feat for two people who are married to one another. Right. Right. No, it is. (laughs) You know, it makes me think of like, I just read this book about the history of, um, the concept of heterosexuality and homosexuality. Obviously, there have been straight people and gay people since the dawn of time, but, like, the concept of it, you know, up until the late 1800s, you were normal or you were a sodomite. Right. And sodomites weren't necessarily gay. They might be people who had oral sex. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you were just either normal or you weren't normal. Yeah. And they were talking about the history of marriage and stuff, too, in the book, and a big, you know, a big thing was, like, how how recently love marriages even are a thing in the world. Right, right. And like for most of human history, though you just you're really hoping you'll find someone nice. True. <laughs> like Like you're really just it. hoping you'll find somebody nice. Yeah. Like and, and they really they they both found somebody nice. And I and I think especially in America in the you know, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds when this movie is set, early nineteen hundreds, um in the West where there's the population is not dense. Correct. Yeah, that's the other thing is, right, it's like, she, yeah. she, she was working in that diner, ho- like, she owned the diner hotel mm-hmm. thing, and mm-hmm. there was one bar, and it looked like, that was about it! That was it, yeah, <laughs> like, that was it. And then if they, when they went to Herndon, the bigger town, but that's a drive, you know, to yeah. drive away, um, and yeah, and, oh, there's, that's one thing that Jane left out, and I think that that was a fine decision, the fact that she left this out, it, it would have made it longer, and, and it might not even have added all that much, but the reason that Kirsten Dunn's first husband killed himself is because of Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch uh, publicly humiliates him and beats him, and then he kills himself <clears throat> not long after that because he's so emasculated. Well, we had, Zach and I had an interesting conversation about whether or not, it, it leaves it, it leaves it to the imagination, um... Well, one, why he killed himself, but it leaves, it truly leaves it to the imagination of whether or not maybe Peter killed him and he didn't actually kill himself. Like. Oh, interesting. No. Like, of course you might not have thought that because you knew in the book. I did. I mean, that would have been, I actually like it, I think better this, this way, because it does give you this idea of like, 
it it does peter admire his father like he Mm -hmm. seems like he does because by the end you're like do we actually know Mm -hmm. what kind of person peter is and the reason we don't know is because look at look at the like quote unquote masculine influences that have been in his life right a father Mm -hmm. that killed himself and then george and phil Mm -hmm. and it's like these are these are the varying degrees of masculine Mm -hmm. influence that are shown to him Mm -hmm. and so you know he is like a young person who's still being shaped Mm -hmm. so i think it did i i I mean i don't know if i personally think that i do think that his dad probably just killed himself and he did find him Mm -hmm. and that had to have an effect on him but it does i mean it does beg the question at the end if he's willing to kill Mm-hmm. To make his mother happy, yeah. since it doesn't really tell you anything about his mother and father's relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like, did they even have a good relationship? If mm-hmm. Pete is willing to do this to yeah. protect his mother, then... Yeah. I, 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 I suspect that Jane really just wanted us to focus on the inciting incident of him making fun of Cody Smith McPhee's right. flowers to the end. To the Whereas end, Whereas yeah. the other parts are, like, a long time ago, because, like, or a good amount of time ago. And But in the, yeah, in the book, there's, like, it's a... It's that type of narration where it's like you can hear the character's thoughts, but it goes back and forth between different characters. Yeah, and you and you meet the dad of of Cody Smith McPhee, and he really he and he and Kirsten Dunst were really in love. But he, the problem was that the small town that they lived in, a lot of people were so poor they couldn't pay the doctor, and mm. so he they were having a lot of financial problems, and that was part of why he started drinking, and then he would he would embarrass himself at the bar and Benedict Cumberbatch humiliated him and beat him and then he was like i'm not even a man i'm not even a successful doctor like i can't even provide for my family so he kills himself yeah but for me the question of okay so you were saying cody smith mcphee like if he if he could kill benedict cumberbatch could he have killed earlier than that i think that the one of the big theses theses of the film for me or things that it's looking at is the differences between being being tender and gentle and being hard and bitter and or we could you could i think translate what you said into traditional masculinity and femininity Mm -hmm. yes traditional masculinity and femininity and the characters who are gentle and tender and kind are admirable and they're likable but they at the end of the day i think cody smith mcphee's kind of conclusion that he comes to is like Sure, we want to be tender and kind, but you have to, you have to protect your hands with gloves because one, you know, you're so easily pierced, you're so easily wounded if you're just exposed to the world like his mother is and like Jesse Plemons is. Yeah. And like his father was. And he knows I can be a good person, I can be a kind person, but I have to, in this world, have a shell and protect myself. And as soon as Benedict Cumberbatch opens up to him, he dies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you, you can't in that world. You have to have a shell. Well, but, and it's, it was very interesting, though, to one of the other interesting, well, what I felt the most from it, actually, is going on what you said. I totally agree with what you're saying. That was one of the, the big things mm-hmm. that I felt. The, the shots of bare hands and gloved hands, very important. Yeah. Jane loves hands. Loves hands. I mean, that's what I, that was actually my, I mean, honestly, my favorite scene is, is the climatic, clim, climax scene where... It's just so much focus. I mean, when he puts his hands into the water, I mean, it's literally like the blood's coming out. It's insane how you how like how how like deeply I felt that. Yeah. I was like I was like, "Oh my god." Yeah. 
like he just died. Like I yeah. was like I was like he like it's insane. It was just a beautiful shot of hands going into water and mm-hmm. it's and you're like that's that's like mm-hmm. that is it. That's yeah, like it for him. that's like the piercing blow yep. is. Yep. And I thought that that was just yeah, brilliant. But mm-hmm. the part that really struck me was actually was actually Kirsten Dunst's character and how to like an outsider it might seem like why did this affect her so mm. much why you know yeah she seemed fine and then she moved here and like why did phil just sort of you know making fun of her cut her like cut her so deeply and then she couldn't even like be in the same room with him or be in the house when he was mm-hmm. in there but i don't know i really felt that like whenever he was being cruel to her i really really felt that i was like i i I know what yeah. it's like to to have someone be cruel to you to mm-hmm. the point where it gets into your head so much that yeah. you can't, that you don't want to be around them, that you can't be in the same room with them because it causes you mental trauma. Yeah, it's like anguish. Yeah. Like, it literally, I could feel it in my stomach, like... Yeah. You know, when he's, when he's taunting her. When the piano and the banjo. Yeah, with the, when oh he's taunting her with the piano and the banjo, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. I, I was like, I'd never step foot in this house again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, and, and, oh yeah, and then she gets the gloves from the Native American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, that's a combination of two scenes. The, in the, in the book, this guy and his son come from, they've been moved to the reservation, but they come, they leave illegally actually to come to their, where their home was. And when they get there... Phil sees them and is like, get out of here, you filthy Indians. But but then as they're leaving, Kirsten Dunn sees them and and Jesse Plums is like, oh, I think that guy used to be the, is the uh, son of the old chief who died. And she runs to them and she's like, it would be because she knows I have I can't let this little boy see his father be treated badly. But also, I think she has been I think she has been here in that space for so long with these like ultra masculine Mm -hmm. energies that she's like i have to do something like good like i have to there's like there is no good here and i have to do something good like even if it's honor for you to camp here even if it's a silly like even if it you know is maybe not even really good (laughs) like it's and then the person buying the hides is just like this like Jewish peddler who comes, but Phil also hates Jews, so <laughs> he doesn't want to sell them the hides. Phil hates everybody. Phil hates everybody because he's gay. Yes, because he's repressed. Because he's repressed, <laughs> and if he can't be happy, no one no else one should can. be. Yeah, seriously. It's, yeah, it's so fascinating. It's so... Benedict Cumberbatch did a really good I job. I thought he did a, a really, like, a really, whole, really good job. The whole, from him... And Cody Smith-McPhee. I thought oh Cody Smith-McPhee Smith was... so Yeah, good. I thought he was phenomenal. He, He's yeah. I'm like I'm like wow. I can't wait to see what else he does. Yeah, now. he was phenomenal. But the whole from I thought Thomas and Mackenzie was a little silly. Yeah. I like Thomas and Mackenzie, but I'm like, <laughs> mm, what's going on yeah. there? Um, I the, from from Phil finding out that they got, that they sold the hides to the to through to the final rope being braided. That all that whole performance from Benedict Cumberbatch, I was and Cody Smith McPhee. I was like. Folks, I don't know how we're going to do better than this one this year. <laughs> I mean, truly. I mean, oh, God, yeah. When, oh, oh, yeah. When he, <laughs> when Cody Smith McPhee lights that cigarette and smokes it and then sticks it in his mouth, that was oh like. Oh, my God. Irene looked at me like. <laughs> She's like, are you watching? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was really something. I, and then, God, yeah, it's so, it's so interesting, too, that at the end, even if he, even if uh, Phil Benedict Cumberbatch knows 
that he killed him. I don't think he does. I don't think he does. Personally, I don't think he does. No. But even if he does, he doesn't care because he has, like, he still, you know, he still wakes up and is like, the the boy, I I need, the boy, the boy needs the rope. Like, (laughs) I think he thinks of himself as being so invincible and the fact that he intentionally only works with, like, he's so careful about not working with diseased hides, but he... It wouldn't have occurred to him that 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 Pete would have given him a disease hide. Yeah. So I think he because he thinks that you know he thinks that they have a special relationship. he thinks they have a special relationship. Mm-hmm. He thinks that you know he can cultivate the kind of relationship that Bronco Henry cultivated with him. Yes, yes. But and I and I like that it's actually pretty ambiguous how Cody Smith makes you feels sexually. I I, I you know like. Is he gay too, or is he not? Like, but it, but he's, it, in he's this a case, sissy, but, it doesn't matter, yeah. right? Because you know, I I agree with you. I, I like, just liked that you didn't really know. Yeah, no, I I agree that. You, but that's like that's the point it's making, right? And yeah. for for the point that's making for his character is that it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. t- actually, mm-hmm. whether the kid is gay or not, because that's not what is most important to him. Mm-hmm. What's most important to him is resolving these issues of. Mm-hmm. A toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and and femininity and how mm-hmm. they play together. Mm-hmm. I thought it was also I really liked how um, Jesse Plemons. I liked the difference between Jesse Plemons and Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Like I liked how Jesse Plemons was trying to be like more refined, like it, genteel. It, yeah, genteel. It was, it, but it was so interesting because like Jesse Plemons, what it is in a heterosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And it won, but is so feminine, mm-hmm. and then or has feminine qualities, mm-hmm. um, and then whereas Phil Benedict Cumberbatch is homosexual, but can't stand it so mm-hmm. much that he has to be hyper masculine. I think part of it is that he can't he his own repressed homophobia of or his like homophobia of his own repressed homosexuality, but also. There is a, a special blend of gay man who really hates femininity. That is a real thing, you know? It's there, true. There are these guys who are, like, mask for mask, ultra mask, like, super, like, they, they focus on, like, being manly, like, and they and they don't like feminine gays. And, right. And so, it, and, and you could argue that maybe they have a little bit of, you know, self-homophobia, too. But they would say, no, I don't. I'm so gay that I only love men and masculine. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah. you know, but. But, I mean, it, and also it could be that clearly the only homosexual relationship that Benedict Cumberbatch had was with Bronco Henry. Right. And so whatever way that relationship was presented to him may be the only way that he right. understands having a relationship with another man, right? Is right. that, like, if Bronco Henry is this ultra masculine mm-hmm. and we had this, like, we mm-hmm. had this very ultra-masculine relationship with one another. It's, I mean, and we don't even know. It's entirely possible that his relationship with Bronco Henry was never sexual. It's true. Was never It's true. It could have just been that, that Phil felt that way, but Bronco Henry did not. Yeah. And so. We just don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, yeah Power <sighs> so of the Dog. the text. It was great. <laughs> so the last good. thing I wanted to say is I, I find, I find it, I found it very interesting. Oh, God, I love this because it really puts down the haters. I love when, this is one of the reasons I love good Westerns, um, Mm -hmm. is that generally in Westerns, there is not a lot of dialogue. And even when the dialogue is there, the dialogue itself is not the point. 
Yeah. Um, the, like, the way things are being said, mm-hmm. when things are being said, where things are being said mm-hmm. matter more than the actual words mm-hmm. that are being said. And so I liked that in her dialogue, I mean, it was so simple and nobody, nobody could talk. Like, no, everybody felt like they couldn't. Well, they were, like, they so desperately needed Phil to come to the dinner because he's the only one who can make conversation. Yeah, well, that and then, like, and, but also just, you know, nobody can say anything for fear of having an emotion, like, out loud. Right, right. So, you know, everybody talks in, like, like, when they're pulling over the car and he's just like, what are we doing? And her Mm -hmm. answer is just like, you'll see. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. like, just the most basic dialogue, but it doesn't matter because that mm-hmm. the dialogue itself is not the point like right. what is being said is not the point mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the context of what is being said mm-hmm. that matters mm-hmm. and i just love that because i think so often people get caught up in things like oh well this is this is boring because they're not saying anything right and i think that's the difference between the overall the overall story that you're trying to tell mm-hmm. and the individual pieces of that story along the way yes for sure. Yeah, it's it, it was really good dialogue. Yeah, I mean it's that's what a I mean that's what a western is, right? Straight simple dialogue, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. But the point, yeah, the point is how they're interacting with one another mm-hmm. when they're speaking to each other. Mhm. And when they're not and when they're just looking at each other, yeah. all that stuff. So, the gaze is very important. Yes. To the gazes of the characters and of us. So let's talk about the director's the director's thing. <laughs> let me wait, let me find it. Did there I? was this this would you call it a meme? I guess it's a meme. I guess it's a meme. Yeah. What is a, what is a meme? <laughs> that which we call a meme by any other word would still make us laugh. Make us laugh. <laughs> the uh, the Chris Nolan curve, a hypothesis. <laughs> who and who tweeted this? Let's, let's let's credit credit at John Delillo. Delillo. And it's yeah, it's like a graph, and it's like. The, the x-axis is time elapsed in career, and the y-axis is film Twitter reaction. And so, obviously, uh, film Twitter reaction goes from scorn to auteur worship, and time elapsed in career um, has hot new filmmaker on the Hollywood scene. In the middle is normal people have become aware of said filmmaker, and uh, on the far end is filmmaker is mainstream enough that it's now contrarian to enjoy their work. <laughs> But yeah, and basically it's saying that once, when they're a hot new filmmaker on the scene, then film Twitter likes them, but when mainstream people know who they are, then film Twitter scorns them, and then they love them again when it's country and to like them. Yeah. And they're doing this to Guillermo del Toro, and Jane Campion, and Edgar Wright, and... I suspect will happen to Paul Thomas Thomas Anderson Anderson with licorice pizza. Yeah. Well, that's definitely had the the Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Everybody being still. Every, I mean, and the Wes Anderson now. one is not new. That's the difference yeah. is that you know everybody has mm-hmm. been. Oh, you know. He makes the same movie. Does this happen to Tar? Has this happened to Tarantino? That's an interesting no. question. Yeah. No. Right. So mm-hmm. interesting. Very interesting. But I think I think maybe part of that is because the, Tarantino has always been mainstream. The Hateful Eight is was bad mm-hmm. <laughs> and people people said that mm-hmm. but i don't think anybody ever was like tarantino's bad now tarantino's or... bad because he keeps making the same movie yeah. mm-hmm. one because that's not true well, but Tarantino two makes more genre leaps than some other people do he does but i mean i would say like i really enjoyed well, i won't say too much but i really enjoyed once upon a time in hollywood because i felt it was significantly different from a lot of his films yeah but yeah um are people really saying i haven't seen any hate of jane campion but that's might be because i refuse to i i, I can't <clears throat> i don't think I, I really think what it is is this thing that happens every year now like ever since film twitter became a thing ever since so much 
um, film reaction has been focused on social media, that if a film gets hyped, like The Power of the Dog, then then people are more apt to say no. For the clicks. For the, for the clicks or like, or because it was built up mm-hmm. to be something better than they thought it would be. And that's okay. Like, it, nothing's going to be perfect. You know, I think the only right. one... That Everybody th- has their own personal subjective taste. I really, the only thing I can think of in recent memory that didn't have that was Parasite. And Parasite was such a phenomenon. Like, it was mm-hmm. such an, an its own thing. Nobody yeah. nobody was like, wow, this was overhyped. But I think that that is what happens a lot, is that when a movie like The Power of the Dog, um, you know, premieres at Venice... I believe it was I Venice. I think it was Venice. Yes. I think she won the Golden Lion? Silver Bear? I don't know. Something. The animal. Golden Lion is the she top won, prize. She won an animal. No, <laughs> she won an animal. Um, but... Maybe the Silver Bear. Yeah, I think she didn't win. I don't think it won the Golden Lion, but... Because that's, like, the best film. That's, like, the Palme d'Or. Is the Silver... Am I the Silver Bear? Is that a thing? <laughs> I feel like it is. I feel like it's a thing. Venice. When, it, when a movie comes out and is so critically revered mm-hmm. that early before it actually becomes released to the public, I just feel like that they get mm-hmm. overhyped mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, the silver lion. Just the oh, golden the... lion and the silver lion. What's the bear? Where am I getting and a bear And the Volpe cup. Is that the Berlinol? You're right. I think you're right. I think it's, I'm, I'm confusing my <laughs> ceremonies. Oh my god. I'm sorry. I was on the Wikipedia page and I forgot that Todd Phillips won the fucking golden lion for Joker. What an, like, what? It's in, embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I just want to know what won the Golden Lion this year. Happening. Anyways. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, I just, it's very interesting, this, it's interesting that it literally says auteur worship is, like, is the highest mm-hmm. on the Y-axis, and that's when it's contrarian to like them, is when it becomes auteur worship, because... We do have a lot of auteur worship, but then for some reason we also get mad at auteurs for being auteurs, and I'm like, this is the whole point. I know. <laughs> is I mean, that this this th- is that they make a movie like they mm-hmm. make movies about it's pe- the, their things and in their is. way. People don't understand like, what auteur is because like and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that like the crux of auteur theory and and you don't have to be a director to be an auteur. Like, for example, um... Emmanuel Lebeski is probably an auteur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna say, in many ways, Cary Grant was an auteur. Yeah. Like, if you... The thing that makes you an auteur is that no matter where the movie is coming from in, in, in time in your career, at what point in your career, what studio is producing it, who wrote it, if you're the director, no matter who you're working with, your vision comes through and your vision is on a continuum that you can follow through your, through your oeuvre. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and Jane Campion is absolutely that way. Like no matter who she's working with as the writer, whether she wrote it or somebody else who she's acting with, who did the cinematography, who did the music, you are like, Jane Campion is doing the Jane Campion thing. She exactly. She has a vision and she's making it happen, you know? And we know, like I said earlier, that her movies are going to be about in some way, you know, sexuality, gender, relationships. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that she is interested yes, in. Yes, like, yes. And in many ways, she has a lot in common with Pedro Almodovar in terms of how sexuality is a destabilizing force and can make you go crazy or ruin your life uh, or improve your life, you know. And and she also, there, there's also some stuff running through her work about um, 
how your early childhood influences your development. Mm. Um, but that's like not in everything. And it's like a little more, it's not the forefront theme, but yeah, like I think, it, I think people get so like, Oh, tours are bad or something. And I'm like, I think it, I think that it's part of what makes it an art form is that you have artists, you know? Yeah. I think people think that if you have an auteur, then it can't be, then it's like only one person made it, which is a misunderstanding of it because it's that, it's that you, even though it's a communal art form, you still managed to put, to put your thing through. It wasn't like overshadowed by all these other people who were involved. Well, and I think people are just like Wes Anderson is such a specific one. It's Ooh. it's the most it's he is the most accessible one to criticize because right. because the thing about his films and the thing that is consistent throughout his films aren't necessarily um, emotional or intellectual themes, but visual themes. Yes, visual and themes and some. I mean. I think there are. I have to think. I have to think about it honestly. Yeah. Like, what like pinpoint exactly what? I mean, he makes a lot of stuff about families and siblings. Yeah, and found found families, and, found families, um, yeah. and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean the most, and so that you know, and so he, I understand why he's the most, or why he is the easiest to criticize. Yeah. Because his is a visual style, mm-hmm. and so people are like, ah, ah. Oh, it's just blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, the same, it's the same thing as all of them before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no one, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah. But, like... Do you think Wes Anderson cares if you like yeah. his films? I don't think so. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Seriously. But there are lots of people that do like it. I just like, it. you know what I don't like? Zack Snyder's films. And they have they have a visual theme, and the visual theme is not And the visual theme is bad. Yeah, I don't like it, but uh, <laughs> I don't like it for me. And so I don't watch his movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like <sighs> sometimes <laughs> just it's just interesting. It's just everybody wants their opinion to matter, mm-hmm. and so if you know if you take a, a contrarian stance on something then mm-hmm. maybe your opinion will matter mm-hmm. but mostly what i like to do is just watch movies and enjoy them mm-hmm. so <laughs> i mean that's really the goal i mean you know i look at i look at other people's letterboxes sometimes and i see them watching movies that they didn't like and giving them like one or two or, or two and a half stars and i'm like you didn't have to watch that you know I think you had an idea you weren't going to like that before you watched it. You know, you could have watched something you thought you were something going you to thought like. you would like. That's what I do. I watch things that I think I might like, and then I usually do. So we lost the audio for the ending of this episode because Rachel and I saw a scary bug on my window, and we stopped recording because of it. So <laughs> this is the end. See you next time, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at SmartestPPLPod, SmartestPeoplePod, and you can get in touch with us at SmartestPeoplePod at gmail.com. Please subscribe in whatever podcast app you like, and please tell a friend. Our theme music and interstitial music is by Scott Boyce, and he can be found on Instagram as at Scoogle, S-C-0-0-G-L-E. This is Maddie Weiner. This is Rachel Casey. Reminding you that we're the smartest people in the room. And go to the movies. Go to the theater.